So let me open our time in prayer. Uh, Father, we give you thanks for the beautiful day that we've enjoyed for the break in the heat and humidity and uh, the bright, clear skies. Um, And we um, are grateful for all of the ways in which you make provision for us, especially now this evening uh, through the wonder of this technology that we can meet together and uh, consider now as we draw to a close on this study of our General Assembly's report on human sexuality. And we pray that you'd bless us uh, to the end, that Christ would be lifted up and his church would be strengthened and edified and that we might be um, fit disciples uh, of such a Lord. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we're on the home stretch. Um, but before we press ahead, anybody questions from last week at all that you'd like to raise? Um, our uh, concluding discussion of how we ground um, our apologetic uh, approach in our theology, we um, ground our ethics in the deeper subjects of redemptive history and that that's a more profitable way to address the world. Um, All right, not seeing any. Let me start with this evening's topics. We're going to look at, um, very briefly, the uh, annotated bibliography that begins on page 45. And then we're going to carry on, and I'll just mention a couple of items from the resolution section that begins on 48. And then we'll get to the concluding material um, afterwards and uh, finish the evening off there. Um, And then I'll make a few comments about the General Assembly at the very end. So let's begin. They've divided the bibliography up into three parts, uh, books for pastors and sessions. Uh, Then they um, provide a number of resolutions, both by PCA General Assembly and other uh, Reformed churches. And then they have uh, books for further study. And it's a very helpful bibliography, I think. Uh, You see how they've distinguished. Um, In the first instance, uh, this is part of their assignment from the assembly, in the 47th assembly, uh, that resources to help pastors and sessions uh, do the work that they're called to do. Um, the articles for further study are not all authors that can be commended, uh, many of them outside our own tradition, but all of them important for understanding uh, the broader debate that's been going on for uh, some time. And then, of course, uh, the Uh, proposals, recommendations, and uh, resolutions of these other churches helps to put the work that our church is struggling with here in context. Uh, But they are careful to note that inclusion of a work doesn't, uh, is an an endorsement of a given author uh, in all that he's written, but only that the works they're mentioning have some value. And then they conclude uh, nicely with the thought that Everything included in the bibliography should be read both charitably, 
but at the same time, critically in the light of uh, scripture and our confessional tradition. Um, so that's good counsel. And I'll uh, just mention a couple of things from the bibliography, but in the meantime, if you have a question about anything here, I'll, I'll be happy to stop because I'm not going to talk about all of them myself. So if you press on to um, page 46, um, the first book I want to highlight is Kevin DeYoung's book, What Does the Bible Really Say About Homosexuality? Um, this is one of the finest, uh, relatively short resources that I know of, um, where uh, Kevin, in a, in a wonderful way, um, makes very clear some of the fantastic scholarly work that's been done on uh, the interpretation of Scripture with respect to these subjects. Um, and so I couldn't commend that book. If you if you have not read any book about this issue, I would say that that um, would be as important as any of them um, concerning the biblical support for the position uh, that the the study report has taken and that Christianity has historically uh, taken. Um, the next book, a book by Tim Geiger, just underneath, uh, explaining LGBTQ plus identity to your child, uh, biblical guidance and wisdom. This is from New Growth Press, a very fine publisher. And you'll note in particular the commendation and the annotation uh, it is to help parents with their children to extend the love of Christ in this world, particularly to those struggling with same-sex attraction and or gender identity. And it is, a, it seems to me, a very helpful resource in that respect, in, given that focus in particular, which is a challenge um, for uh, many parents. Um, then over on page 47, um, the uh, another book um, from New Growth Press. Uh, these are booklets, I should say. Uh, they're pamphlets, maybe 10 pages at the most, um, for helping students with same-sex attraction uh, for parents and youth leaders. And again, a very... Um, a helpful book, and especially it reflects the experience of Harvest USA. This is a ministry uh, to help folk with all kinds of sexual struggles that grew up out of 10th Presbyterian Church in um, Philadelphia. And it, it, ha it has a wonderful reputation and it has a, a very fine uh, track record in um, being useful to help folks strug struggling with these things. So it's, um, I think... Uh, worth drawing your attention to. That's all I'm going to mention off the bibliography uh, thus far. Does anybody have a question about any of the other books that you see there? All right. Um, now, uh, only a couple of points to make about these resolutions, resolutions adopted by PCA General Assemblies and other church reports. Uh, they're listed for us chron chronologically here. And uh, for most of these, I can supply you a digital text of the document if you're interested. So uh, don't hesitate to 
um, email me if you're if you'd like to get some. And of course, most of them have a link where you could probably find them and download them yourself. But um, a number of them, I already have digital versions. And the first thing I want to draw your attention to is the second item in the list, Declaration of Conscience, um, adopted by the 21st General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America, uh, what was Overture 16, um, in 1993. And the reason why that is significant is because that Declaration of Conscience began its life in the session of New Hope Presbyterian Church. Um, it was um, just after the presidential election, uh, and President Clinton in the spring of that year was considering a federal policy called Don't Ask, Don't Tell, um, where persons who struggled with same-sex attraction, so long as they didn't make a big deal about it, uh, they wouldn't find anybody trying to investigate and, and, and get rid of them. And our session knew that there was going to be a good bit of controversy about it, and so we tried to um, produce something that would be consistent with our understanding of the relationship of church and state, and yet at the same time offer our testimony. And it, it is, uh, I think, um, a, a document that stood the test of time. So I don't want to brag on our session, but I do think it's wonderful that a little tiny mission church at that time uh, could have prepared a document that's part of the history of the assembly on this subject. Uh, the next thing I, I want to draw your attention to is, um, it's going to be hard to do this, so uh, one, two, three, four, five down, pastoral care for the repentant homosexual. Um, this was a report uh, from 1980 from the Reformed Presbyterian Church Evangelical Synod you remember that denomination merged with the PCA to make up our current denomination. Uh, it was a, a much older denomination. It was, in fact, the, the denomination that Francis Schaeffer belonged to. And this uh, report was very, very well done. And um, it, has, it, it, it provides, I think, in some ways, a standard against which um, other reports will be judged. Um, and uh, so if you wanted to see something in, to get an idea of some of the earliest struggling uh, on this subject, earliest meaning in the, in the modern era after the sexual revolution, uh, that would be very valuable to look at. Um, then on page 49, um, the uh, Nashville statement a document prepared uh, under the auspices of the Council on, Bibli of, on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Um, this was uh, produced in 19, uh, 2017, and our General Assembly uh, declared this statement to be a biblically faithful statement at uh, the last General Assembly that met, June of 2019. And uh, so that would be interesting for you to read. It's not um, a church statement, as I say, paraministry, um, but uh, many Christian, uh, many churches have chimed in to say that it was well done and uh, it would be worth your having a look at if you uh, wished. Um, I think that's all that I'm going to say 
about uh, the the church documents. Let me pause for a minute and see if uh, um, anybody has any questions. Did you receive a response from anyone at the White House from the overture? You know, we did get some press, but at least to my knowledge, um, I don't... Well, I guess I shouldn't say that now. Boy, you're really challenging my failing memory, Austin. I think there would have, might have been a, a sort of one-page form letter. Uh, we thank you very much for your concern and glad to know about it. Um, have a nice day or <laughs> something to that effect. It, there was no serious engagement at all. When was Don't Ask, Don't Tell finally... But that was Obama administration, I guess. So it was a while longer. Um, I don't remember. And it was uh, it was instituted under Clinton and then repealed under Obama. Yeah, that's that sounds right to me, Tim. Um, it, it, it was very interesting. Um, there was a firestorm about <laughs> that show shall. Politics is often a moving target. There was an absolute firestorm about it during the Clinton administration when it was being developed, um, and people were saying the sky is falling. And then when President Obama wanted to get rid of the policy, there was another firestorm, and many of the same people who were saying it's the worst thing ever were then saying... Uh, uh, as it was being considered to be dropped, that it was crucially important to the good of the republic. So it's politics, uh, there are a lot of ironies to it. In his essay on women's rights, women, uh, uh, that's what Dabney said about conservatism. (laughs) And, you know, the left keeps moving to the left and just moves a step behind it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Any other questions or comments about um, all right. Um, now we're on to uh, page fifty. And um, if you've not seen Rosaria Butterfield's uh, book, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Uh, I can't commend that more highly. It's a wonderful book. Her story is quite remarkable. Um, She was a um, a lesbian professor of gender studies, you see there, and she had no interest at all in Christianity. And um, a pastor uh, in that community um, of one of the most conservative reformed denominations in the country, the RPCNA, he and his wife began to invite her over for dinner and show kindness and engage in discussions. And um, uh, the Lord used it to change her life entirely. And now she's a pastor's wife with children. I think that they serve in North Carolina in the RPCNA. And uh, her story is um, really a grand testimony to the power of God's grace and the power of God's grace just through simply speaking the truth in love. Um, So it's very much worth um, 
your consideration. She's an outstanding speaker, too, and if you get a chance, um, she is quite a dynamic speaker. Now then, uh, go down a couple of books to Robert Gagnon, formerly professor of New Testament at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Um, The book is entitled The Bible and Homosexual Practice, Texts and Hermeneutics published by Abington, which is by no means a conservative Christian publisher. Uh, in fact, it, most of the books it publishes are quite liberal. But um, this is a large book, and uh, as the annotation says, it's the most comprehensive treatment of the exegesis of individu- individual texts on the subject of homosexuality, and also a comprehensive treatment of the Uh, broader sexual practices alive at the time of the writing of the Old Testament uh, to show by way of contrast um, the way the pagan world was. And um, that one of the great liberal British Bible scholars um, who would have been by no means sympathetic to Gagnon's position said that he thought it was virtually the last word on the subject. Um, it, it's that remarkable a work of scholarship. So if you want something that's really big time to study, that would be the place to go. On page 51, we've already mentioned at length uh, Kyle Harper's book, From Shame to Sin, um, when we were talking about the contrast between early Christianity and the Roman world. And that is, uh, just to remind you again, also a very helpful, very insightful book. Um, down a little further, uh, I'll mention briefly Nancy Piercy, a very, very fine scholar, very uh, conservative Christian. Uh, I met her at um, La Brie when I was there. She has um, written on a number of important subjects concerning apologetics, uh, but here looking at the importance of the nature of the body from the Christian point of view in these current debates. And uh, it's a very, very thoughtful book. Um, And finally, I'll mention on page 52, uh, John Stott's essay on same-sex partnerships in a book entitled Our Social and Sexual Revolution, Major Issues for a New Century. Uh, It was published in 1999 but it's a much older piece that's from the 80s. And um, Stott really was um, uh, calling the church to take the subject seriously in a way that it hadn't been done before by a major evangelical leader. And, um, and of course, he, he was an absolute uh, master of the scripture in many ways. So that would give you a good starting point for the modern consideration of the whole matter among evangelicals. And I think that's all that I'm going to mention about the literature. Um, does anybody have any question about all of that? All right, I don't see uh, anyone. So, um, uh, let's see, on to 53. 
So, as they conclude the report, um, they mention, um, again, their own experience coming together. It was They were deliberately picked because uh, they were folk who were known to have slightly different points of view. Um, and yet, when they came together, uh, committed to working to try and honor Christ and build up his church, they found a... Uh, a relationship together that allowed them to work, work uh, profitably uh, on this subject and to come in with a unanimous report on this um, uh, study. Um, they note that it was only because uh, the Lord gave them grace to have uh, mutual respect for one another that they could avoid the tensions that would have been created by the polarities there are in our culture and in the church. Um, They came with a certain wariness, they note, but uh, two important commitments were crucial. One, that they would deal with each other honestly and honorably, and uh, the second was that they would all try to be learners as well as leaders. And they think those two points were absolutely crucial to the success of their enterprise. Uh, They're simple principles, but it's worth highlighting that as we try and represent the scriptures teaching in our culture, these are certainly callings that we would have, that we would deal honestly and honorably with folk that we disagree with, and we would be willing to be a listener, um, to be slow to speak um, and to want to learn and um, as well as try and communicate the truth as we understand it. Uh, Here it's worth mentioning what his students called Gerstner's Law. That was uh, my professor at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary that had such an influence on my life. But uh, Gerstner's Law was this, and he was a mighty debater Um, very often involved in polemics in the old United Presbyterian Church. But his rule was this. Don't debate a person until you can state his position to his satisfaction. That is a wonderful insight and something that I've lived by uh, since I first heard it. It keeps you from wasting everybody's time by arguing against a straw man, a, a, a view that no one actually holds, or the, the worst thing that all of us, Christians included, we gravitate toward looking for the weakest version of an opponent's argument and pouncing on that. Whereas what we ought to be looking for is the strongest version of it to try and show uh, both respect for the person who's arguing and at the same time to show that the Bible's teaching uh, can, can go up against any falsehood. Um, and we don't need to, to uh, create straw men. So, great counsel from the committee. Honesty and honorable behavior and being a learner as well as one who seeks uh, to teach. Well, uh, and they say uh, we all had things to learn. Um, and in God's providence, the committee had people who were very, very able in, in different areas. And so that they were taught by one another 
and at the same time they listened uh, and they learned from one another. Um, and they're wanting to talk about this because they don't want the church to think they got involved in some kind of groupthink. Uh, sometimes when a body of people get together and they're enjoying each other and they don't want to uh, be cross with each other, it begins to, uh, the arguments don't sharpen one another, they dull one another because they want to get along. Um, and so to help show that that was not the case with them, they sent this report out, early drafts of it, to all kinds of folk around the PCA, uh, representing different perspectives, and asked for commentary and uh, critique. And they got uh, a a good bit of uh, response that helped them to be uh, more sensitive or to be more direct in some area, to refine the language. Um, Excuse me one minute. All right. Um, so, um, the, the point they make is that they have already had a good bit of, uh, critique and engagement, um, so that they weren't just cloistered away and all, uh, uh getting involved in, uh, uh, what do they call it? The Stockholm syndrome. Um, and they note that in fact, And all that they heard from people, uh, there was not disrespect. They didn't uh, disregard any response, and they believe, in fact, that all that they heard turned out to be helpful, and uh, all was addressed in the uh, final report. Well, they had a a, a huge task. Um, They had to prepare a report on the one hand, that'd be brief enough for people to read and use. And on the other hand, as we you recall, they had a huge laundry list of items given to them by the assembly that they had to address. And so the report had to be uh, not only brief, but it still had to be comprehensive yeah, in a sense. And so, in fact, that in part determined the character of the report. Remember the 12 statements that would be very accessible uh, and then the broader analysis and uh, um, uh, exposition given uh, in the larger papers. Um, so um, I, I think the Lord blessed that uh, effort and uh, that the paper uh, really um, has been enormously helpful, and I, ha- I hope it's been helpful to you to take this much time uh, to study it. Um, the um, at the end uh, they come to explaining that though the assembly is going to hear the report, um, it it will have read it. Uh, they will make a report about the report, but they made no recommendations um, because they didn't want to press any perspectives on the church right now. They didn't want to have to have votes when people uh, have 
just been reading and reflecting all of this, there was no decision that had to be made, and I think that was uh, wise. Um, they just wanted folk to reflect, to talk with one another, and not get to a place where we were going to have uh, votes forcing one point of view or another on the assembly. And uh, so they they think that's been the best service for the church. I think there's a, a lot to be said for the decision that they've made. Um, the um, This was to be our last meeting, but um, last week Wes Wilson emailed me and he said, you know, I... Um, I think we need to have one more meeting. And I said, oh. And uh, he said, yeah, I think we need to take a little bit of time ourselves to figure out uh, how this applies to our lives in the particular situations that we're in. And I said to Wes, have you had a chance to read the last two sentences of the report? (laughs) And he said, no, I haven't gotten to it yet. Uh, But here's what they say at the very end. There are and will be many situations to which the principles and perspectives of this report apply. We trust that the godly leaders of local churches and presbyteries determined to declare the truth of Scripture and share the grace of Jesus Christ are those best equipped to make such application. So uh, they think we're pretty well equipped to make further application ourselves. And so I'm thinking that the week after the assembly, if you all are willing, we'll meet one more time on this subject. And I'll be asking you to say, what's changed in your thinking? Or how might you be better equipped to apply these points in your relationships? And I'll bring in uh, an exposition of some things that seem to me to be report important and uh, we'll go with with one more uh, shot at the document. Um, so let me pause there for a minute with that proposition in front of you and um, the uh, say first do you have any questions or comments about their concluding remarks and second uh, do you have any thoughts would you like to carry on for one more week on the subject? Anyone? Okay. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I have a question. So, I mean, <clears throat> so they kind of, so I, I agree with you that the, the um, and I guess this is more of an opinion question than anything. More of a what? That, that, that they agree, I, I agree that it was wise that they didn't make any recommendations now, but it seemed like, I guess what they're kind of alluding to is that as, as people kind of, reflect on this and it percolates through various churches and, and presbyteries that maybe in the future there would be potentially some as people reflect on that hey there would be a lot there'd be a wise thing for us to do that there would possibly be future uh overtures to the ga kind of that that in a sense, come out of out of this as people kind of mull over. Do you think that's? I think likely? that I think that's possible. Now, this year we already have uh, four overtures that, in some way or another, address this subject. I 
my own views. I hope none of them pass. I think it's too soon. Um, and uh, I think further reflection would be useful, further discussion in the church. But, yeah, I think that, that um, uh, they don't doubt that um, other proposals may come, but they hope they'll come informed by the work that they've done on the subject. And the other question, and I don't remember when we went over the GA overtures with us, do, do they get a time on the floor to actually present this? Or? Yes, in fact, uh, that was my next subject. So you'll no. be my you'll be my segue, and then we'll come back to this point. Okay, uh, sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, here's where we are. I'm uh, putting in this chat um, a. Uh, link to the live stream from the assembly so that if you're interested, you can watch um, anything that the assembly does. And so let me mention a couple of things that would be worth your attention. On Wednesday morning, there's going to be an assembly-wide seminar. Uh, Brian Chappell, our um, new stated clerk, or our state clerk pro tem, is going to uh, moderate a discussion on the future glory of the church. And there'll be several representatives of uh, different parts of the PCA consist- constituency, uh, a country pastor, a city pastor, uh, head of a college, uh, a coordinator of missions, you know, trying to be as representative as possible. And uh, that ought to be a very interesting discussion, and I don't doubt that that's going to touch on these subjects. So that's 9.15 a.m. Central Time, 9.15 Central Time uh, on Wednesday of next week. Now then, this committee will make its report to the Assembly, and I would think especially if you have the opportunity, you would want to listen in on this. Uh, they're scheduled to make their report at 1.15 p.m. Central. Um, uh, very close to immediately after lunch. And uh, the thing is, these dates aren't, uh, times aren't hard and fast. So you, if you're interested, you may need to come a little early in case the assembly's running ahead of schedule. Um, but uh, in any case, I, I would think what they've docketed is an hour and 15 minutes on that. So they're expecting uh, that there might be a good bit of discussion. And uh, so I, I would hope, if you can, you'd be able to tune in and listen to that. You'll probably be the most well-informed uh, people hearing the debate and <laughs> the nomination. <laughs> I don't think anybody else has taken 13 or whatever weeks uh, to go over it. Um but uh, then the last thing let me mention, um, at 3 o'clock on Thursday, the Overtures Committee begins to make its report. And Overture 38, number 38, is an overture that asks the commed- Assembly to commend this human sexuality report. Uh, as I understand it, the uh, Overtures Committee itself is going to act on this as one of the first items of their committee meeting on Monday. And uh, so I would expect it's going to come early in their 
report on the floor starting at three o'clock on Thursday afternoon. Remember, these are all central time. So anybody would like, I'll put together a text list or email list or something that when I see that I have some sense of when Overture 38 is coming to the floor, I'd be glad to send out an email to alert you to it. But I would think it could even be within the first hour of the committee's report. The Overtures Committee, once it starts at 3 p.m., will be on the floor until midnight. So the train will roll down the track. So I've given you the live stream. And, oh, you're saying it'd be great to have, yeah. I'll send out, well, actually, no, you can find this schedule on our website, New Hope's website. Paul has put a link on the very first page. And if you follow that link, let me just do it myself so I'm sure of what I'm saying. Oh, at the bottom of the front page, there are three links coming up this Sunday for GMU students, and the third is PCA General Assembly. If you follow that link, then there will be a little discussion of it and three links, and the word docket is the one you want, and that will identify for you a page, the very page I've just been reading off of. So I hope that will satisfy that need. Any other questions or comments on that? Are there any limits on how many commissioners a church can send? Every church gets to send at least one ruling and one teaching elder. From that point on, you can have additional officers depending on the size of the congregation. I can't remember the proportion, but for example, if you have over 100, maybe you can send a pastor and two ruling elders. No, actually, I said that wrong. Every church gets to send one pastor and two teaching elders, one pastor and two ruling elders. So that's the baseline. Pastor and two ruling elders. Over 100, and then by increments after, you have additional ruling elders allowed. Any teaching elder? Every teaching elder by right can come to the assembly. The PCA is peculiar in that. Most Presbyterian churches have delegated assemblies, meaning that everybody's delegated, not just the ruling elders. But it's part of the historical unhappiness with the former church that the PCA said that every minister by right can be a commissioner at the assembly. Any other questions? Well, how about back to where we were then, comments. Would you like to take one more week on this? Um, and, uh, 
or do you have any questions about the way the committee concluded their report that we've just gone over? Any thoughts on any of that? Can I ask a question? Or it's kind of a question comment about what you said in your um, lecture tonight or your talk. Yes. Uh huh. Um, so you mentioned Gershner's um, comments about being able to state your opponent's argument, and I remember, you know, we, you and I have known that for so many years, and it made sense for a long time, but it seems like that um, people are so entrenched in, in their um, own opinions, sometimes based on conspiracy theories or just entrenchment, that it doesn't matter what you say to them. I don't know how to state that. Well, remember, this doesn't... Sense. This principle. Now, now the, 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 this principle isn't changed by that at all. Um, the um, whether it has the effect of changing a person's mind is not uh, the principal point. Oh, okay. The the point is that that person knows that you've listened, and that you oh, can repeat back to him what he's wanting to say. And that commends you as a person who's dignified him with careful attention. That's a that's a small thing, but that'll be true no matter how entrenched they are. It, they they okay. can they can see. Oh yeah, they were listening. That is what I'm trying to say. Does that make? And then yeah, and then so then after you say that, and they say yes, that's right. And you say, um, but I think, where do you go from there? Well, um, there are people increasingly who no longer believe in argument and objective facts and, and there's nothing you can do there. You, um, There's no vehicle whereby, um, but I will say this, um, that, uh, you know, uh, we've talked about in the past, in in the sociology of knowledge, scholars look at what they call uh, plausibility structures. when they ask how is knowledge sustained in a given community, mm-hmm. and they notice that there are certain th- things in that community that give plausibility to the claims. It, it doesn't mean they're true, but it means they're plausible. Mm-hmm. And I think with that in mind, we realize that uh, plausibility isn't just a rational thing, um, but For example, if I treat another person very kindly in talking to them and listening to them, um, that has the hope 
of being a kind of plausibility structure in this. They conclude, well, this person at least cares what I'm saying. And uh, so that their heart may be better prepared than their head would have been Mm -hmm. to address the question. Good questions. Thanks. Dave, it's Molly. Yes, Molly. Um, I would welcome the opportunity to um, have another time um, after the GA meets. Um, forgive me, I don't understand ex- how the, the proceedings go, but um, I would I would welcome the opportunity to um, hear your thoughts on um, how it went, and, and but but that's let me go back to I don't understand the proceedings. I remember something about when we first met. You said that um, they the committee drafted this, and they were hoping um, they wanted to stay out of the spotlight. They kind of wanted to um, present it, and they didn't want the attention. Uh, I guess so that the report would be received and then passed, I guess, but the South Carolina Presbytery or session, am I in the right direction? They, yeah, uh-huh. They amended it, which was great on one hand, but no, no, they on did. the other... Well, they didn't amend it. That's what I was trying to say, Molly, and I, I wasn't clear. Um, when I talked about the Overtures Committee report on Thursday... Um, there's an overture, number 38. Right. That's from a presbytery. And, oh, and oh. that is not amending the report, but it's asking for the assembly to commend the Amen. report as a faithful statement of biblical teaching. That's what, I'm sorry, I, I think I, I didn't speak clearly. Um, sorry, Steve's asking a question. What? So, well, there's nothing... Oh yes, yes. That overture, that overture will certainly be debated. Okay. Um, The that could that yep, absolutely, Steve. But there'll be debate on the floor, um, or at least the uh, state clerk's expecting it because he's docketed so much time. I mean, it's not going to take an hour and 15 minutes for them to explain this report. Well, what will happen is that various committee members that particularly participated in one part or the other will probably uh, take turns um, summarizing the material and maybe adding a word or two more about uh, why. or um, So there'll be some exposition of the report by the, by the committee from up front. And then I expect the next thing will be questions from the floor. And that's where uh, debate will take place because people will ask questions that are <laughs> leading to a certain point of view. Yes. Um, but there won't be any motion on the floor uh, to do anything with respect to the report at that time. 
Well, I, um, I would, I'd love to tune in. Um, and whether I do or not, though, I would love for you to distill what happens. Sure. <laughs> you process it. And so if that's what we could gather again and um, kind of walk through, that would be very helpful. Wonderful. Wonderful. That, that'll certainly be a part of uh, that last Wednesday meeting then. Okay. Thank you. Any other thoughts? Can I ask a question again, Dave? Yes. Um, am I remembering correctly about, uh, I think it was when you spoke on the, uh, this is kind of turning a corner a bit, but it's still related to the GA. Um, that you will be hearing 48, does that mean 16 issues each day that you are there? Is that correct? Well, actually, it's worse than that. <laughs> um, the, the overtures are just one part of the business of the assembly, and that business will go on uh, from um, Tuesday night through Thursday at three o'clock before we ever get to the overtures committee. And so from three o'clock on Thursday until midnight and maybe on to Friday, we'll be dealing with, the, there, there's numbered 48 overtures, uh, but one was taken out. So there's only actually uh, 47 and the Overtures Committee doesn't get them all. I, I, I can't, I had a note to myself somewhere here how many they get. Hold on. Um. Uh, the um, 35 of those go to the Overtures Committee. And then. Um, there are, oh, maybe maybe as many as 10 that are duplicates in one way or another. So I would say, uh, there, in terms of discrete topics, maybe 30. Um, or maybe less, maybe, maybe 25 discrete topics. So in those hours, the assembly will have to act on all of those. <laughs> now, if that committee does a good job, the assembly won't have a hard time. And the, the way our rules are now, the, and this is a huge improvement to it, um, when those overtures come to the floor, all you can do is argue about them and then vote yes, no, or recommit. They can't amend them at all. And that's what's so enormously time-consuming. And, and we just, we ended it on the floor, so, but made the committee bigger. So the committee's task is the huge one, where they've got to digest those overtures and come up with the best proposal that they think serves the assembly. And that will help happen all day on Monday and Tuesday and maybe beyond if they need to. Does that make more sense? Yeah, I, I think that um, 
sounds overwhelming. <laughs> Is that an understatement? <laughs> but, um, and I, I mean, I, I was thinking of you two, you know, partic- with particular regard to the SJC and your task at hand um, and the numerous issues you'll have there. So, but um, we'll continue to pray for you well, and thanks. the rest of the committee. Thank you. The good thing is this year the assembly is going to be a break from SJC business because we're not going to try and meet while we're there. So uh, oh. I, I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> good. Okay. All right. Anybody else want to uh, pitch in on this subject? You know, if um, last year was the first time that a uh, church in our American lineage didn't meet for a general assembly? First one I've ever heard of. I know it's the first for the PCA, but you know the the church met for general assembly at the start of the Civil War. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I I think it may be the first. Wow. Well, please do pray for the assembly. Um, as I say, the committees will start on the overtures committee in particular will start on Monday morning and, uh, it'll be a wild ride. Um, but they're very good. Um, generally speaking, that committee draws some of the most able men in the assembly. Um, and that doesn't mean they all agree, but they all really know how the system works and what has to be done to get things done. And, uh, Generally speaking, they do a wonderful job, but it's an enormously uh, challenging job. Well, you all have been very patient over these many weeks, and uh, uh, so your assignment for uh, Wednesday, uh, the week following, will be to think of what difference your study in this report has made to your life and ways it might be helpful to you in your circumstances. And I'll come in with some a report about the assembly and some further thoughts about what difference this ought to make uh, in the way we uh, deal with people. Hey, hey Dave? Yes. Uh, one suggestion, since not everybody attends every week, is you might want to send an email out to your list just to kind of say we're going to extend it and here's the... the the topic we're going to Ah, good idea, Steve. Thank you very much. I will do that. And you know, I'll include in that uh, um, the times and dates that I mentioned off of the docket summary. Yeah, that would be helpful. All right. Anything else tonight? Well, it looks like we have maybe half of a day left of this lovely weather before we go back to the misery of humidity. (laughs) So enjoy it while you can. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank you again for this committee's diligent work. We thank you for uh, the skill, uh, for the nurtured ability, and for the heart and mind committed to our Savior on the part of these men that has delivered this product. And we pray that you would be with our assembly as uh, 
we reflect on these things and that um, this would be both for the peace and the purity of the church and that it might make plain the loveliness of the gospel uh, and its adaptability to all kinds of circumstances. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good night, folks. Thank you again. Great, good night.